Thank you for listening to this artist talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, Richard Luer explains his work on display in Sappers and Shrapnel, Contemporary Art and the Art of the Trenches. This exhibition is free to attend and is showing until the 29th of January 2017. Well, thanks so much for coming, everyone. Um, hopefully everyone went to the talk beforehand. It was probably the most harrowing, but the bit, probably the best um, talk that I've been to, so I recommend people listen to it. It's a hard act to follow. Um, but I'm just going to sort of go over my work, um, and I just want people to ask as many questions as you can and want, because it's pretty informal. Um, I guess in a way I'll start by, when Lisa asked me to be in the show, I knew nothing about war. Um, I'd never been to war. <laughs> I um, hadn't really re researched war before, so when Lisa asked me, I was um, really interested in how I'd respond to the um, war memorial. Um, but in the meantime, I had a little residency in Albany, in WA. And um, the first thing I sort of uh, looked at, I guess, in a way, was the history of Albany. And it was the place that the ships left the King George Sound. Um, so that was the first work I made in response to the show over here. The works are on um, fabricated steel and epoxy-coated steel. So it's like a, um, it's a really uh, hard surface. And I love the physicality and, and making the paintings sort of evolve under that sort of duress and under that sort of tension. So that was the first part of the actual process. The next thing I wanted to do was well, going to the actual war memorial. And the thing that when I first went there was the dioramas are just incredible. They're amazing um, narratives. They're amazing uh, um, displays of, of, of events, of history. So I wanted to sort of emulate that idea. But I'd never made dioramas before, never made models. So I kind of went to the model shop and thought, I'll, I'll get my materials and I'll get going. But I, f I very you know, quickly worked out that I'm probably not going to be very good at this at all, and it was really hard. Um, and I kept on going back to the model shop, and they said, you're having a lot of trouble, aren't you? And <laughs> And they said, maybe you should talk to this guy, Tony. Uh, Tony comes in here and he buys a lot of equipment and he's, always, he's interested in World War I. He's a reservist, he's a, a really nice guy. So I gave him a phone call and uh, myself and Tony, we caught up every Friday and we started a friendship, a dialogue about uh, World War I and I asked him if he could teach me model making. He's a, he's a hobbyist, he makes these models in his bedroom and so uh, it was a really um, unique environment or an experience, I guess, in a way, working with Tony. Um, he knows every little bit of detail of World War I, and it was, it's an obsession. It's a complete obsession for Tony. So that's how the dioramas came about. Um, the actual dioramas were drawn up by me. I was interested in the extremes, like this, this, the football match that, that stopped the war, or the Angel of Mon, or the Sniper. I was interested in, in these narratives, so I drew these up, and then we went away to sort of make them together. Um, I'm interested in sort of people like Tony's that come from a different subculture, like model makers are a different little subculture. I'm interested, I've been interested in the past in boxes or wood choppers, and I go into different cavities, I guess, of, of uh, people's lives. And that's what I'm, I'm really fascinated by. Um, any questions yet? No, 
not, not, no, there's not time for them yet. You've still got more to do. <laughs> I, I think the choice of Albany is really interesting. I mean, Rich and I spoke about this with some writing that we've kind of been doing together. And this King George Sound, which is a very redolent, really significant, very powerful Noongar site, really, really spiritual place, was um, the last bit of land that was seen by, was it 30,000? 40,000. Did you say that already? No, you did. No, no, no. no good. For, by 40,000 um, servicemen and women from both Australia and New Zealand. So it's a, it's a very loaded landscape within that lens. And so Rich returned to that place. Um, he and his partner Karen had been living in WA for a little while and they, he returned to WA to, to be there in that, at that particular site. I'm really interested in Richard's ethnography, for want of a better word. Richard has this incredible, really, I think it's because he's such a humble human, he gets under people's skin and gets into their lives. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about what you did in Albany and how you, how you kind of made a connection with that place and how, how that became a springboard for the body of work. Uh, well, we don't normally do residencies. That there are amazing um, situations to be placed in, and, and it's about um, involving yourself in community. It's about going to the different um, community groups. So, like, I'll go to the the historical society. I will go to the library. I'll go to the council. I'll the, one of the first things I do is I go to the boxing club, and I sort of uh, so that's my fraternity. That's my almost my security blanket, and from. Just in case you're wondering a weird form of boy, <laughs> <laughs> you do get the ring. I do, but I guess in a way, for me, then I branch out from there and I start collecting the stories. And I think that, like I was saying before, it's it's great that I'm I, I'm just always gravitated to people's stories. And from Albany, the people from, especially from the historical society, started handing me the, the different stories of people that returned to Albany, the war widows. Um, the the human um, extent of going to war, um, because what I'd seen in Albany uh, confused me a little bit because it, it was really making war um, more grand more than it is or more romanticised than it is. So I wanted to show the human element as well. And one of the dioramas over here actually shows um, a returned serviceman with perhaps facial reconstruction, and at World War I that was a big, um, I guess, development. Mm. Because An artist played a role in that. Yeah. So, so that, that was, you know, really important to sort of have that connection to, to the work. Um, but, you know, like Albany was the, the, the starting point to push forward, and then, and then actually then going to the War Memorial. One thing too, which I found quite hard, was what Ben touched on is like these first world problems. Because you know, like I, I went go get my soya latte, I'd sort of then go into the war zone. So it was kind of, uh, for me, it was quite hard to detach myself. And how was I going to represent this? I read many books about trench warfare for the painting behind me, and and wanted to get a sense of these people that might have been up to their waist in mud for months on end, I wanted these, this sterile, cold environment where you might be lying next to a dead body, you might be um, dragging some bones out from you. I wanted the extremities of war. Um, 
And these paintings are built up with huge narratives and then wiped away. Because of the materiality of them, you're always physically wiping, removing, reinventing. Um, and in a way, in a small way, my studio sort of uh, shows that. Like the rags and the paints up to my knees, I bury myself into the paint. And there's the residue on the side of the painting sort of shows that process. And, and once again, I mean, they're very heavy. They're sort of like 25 k's each. So you're always bending, lifting. You know, you've always got a sweat going on. Not that that replicates that trench life, but there is a physicality within the work. And I think that that was really important for this particular body of work. Mm. And and then also then uh, completely opposite next to these really sort of almost um, meditative. Uh, works these dioramas, so I'd go. The paintings are very much isolating, you know. Like I always say, paintings are lonely sport. And and these are my studio. This is me in my studio. Then this is me with Tony, and we work, you know, in silence until Tony sort of tells me I'm doing something wrong, or he goes, oh, you know, this helmet here would be this, or this gun was this, and you know, just hearing that over and over, that was a major source of inspiration about the information that was um, gathered through Tony. I do want to point something out. They're very precarious, fragile creations, of course, so look very carefully. But the middle diorama over here, you can't see it, so don't bother looking from there. In fact, you'll be hard-pressed to see it when you get up close, such as the extraordinary miniaturisation that Tony and Richard have achieved. But there is an artist in the trenches making a trench art map of Australia in that middle work. So there's a very direct correlation. And in fact, Richard's work in the exhibition is the most direct response. Richard's the only artist who has responded to World War I specifically. Nick Follin responds to the phenomenon of dazzle camouflage, which occurred in one and two. But the actual pattern he's used is World War II. But Richard's has very, very directly, I think, looked at the Australian involvement in World War I, uh, and I, I gave the artist carte blanche. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense. You can't, as a curator, go in with an idea. That's not being a curator of what artists should make. So um, each, each artist had an opportunity to find their own voice and to find their own way in. Obviously, the experience of Albany was kind of pivotal, but I think the kind of whole Australia-New Zealand thing, do you want to just talk about that? Yep. <laughs> Um, I was just going to say on that, what you were sort of saying, I think that this is also a starting point for things because I really wanted to focus on World War I, but there's so many other things. Like, I'm a big fan of the Dazzle, the Dazzle ships as well as, as Nick, and oh, I kind of... And the biscuits as well. I know, I was a big fan of the biscuits. So, though, I mean, there, there is lots to sort of continue and to work with. Like, part, I make animations as well, and part of me goes, these dioramas could be almost like a a stop frame from one of those, or the, the paintings as well are like almost a stop frame from an animation. So it's kind of like I can see this as a, as a long journey, but it's also, you know, like it's, it's lit in a fire under me for something that I want to do, but also take it to um, more contemporary sort of conto, uh, context and, you know, what Ben was talking about as well, and placing myself uh, in vi environments and, and looking at uh, contemporary 
problems that are going on as well. But yeah, going back to the New Zealand thing, I think that was always, there's, uh, the, all the books that I read were pretty interesting as far as making that New Zealand and Australian connection. Uh, whether or not, I mean, uh, we were debating on doing just a New Zealand diorama, but we, we you know, ran out of time. But I think that's, that's the next show. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Rich and I recently penned a piece for the New Zealand Art Month, what's it called? Uh, Art, News. Uh, Art News. And it takes the title of something that, it takes its title from something that Richard said, which was Drawing Can Save Your Life. And one of the reasons that Richard is, was also another reason that Richard was so apposite, so perfect for this project is that he understands the kind of ameliorative and uh, um, kind of potency and the healing capacity of art, I think. I mean, I, I think we all get that generally as a concept, but I think you live it, to be honest. And I think that it's a really, it's uh, the connection between these trench artists who were crafting objects and full of love and meaning and pain in the trenches and, and Richard's 21st century kind of engagement um, with art. There, there is a, uh, and I don't want to belittle the World War I experience, as you said, you're not in the trenches, but I do think you fully grasp what it, the emotional capacity and the psychological kind of capacity of art. Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the more interesting things. It's like these soldiers grab something immediately to make art. It's like a doodle when we sort of start making art. It's a healing process, and I think that that was a really fascinating thing as well that I wanted to pick up with, and myself and Tony said there has to be someone doing trench art in the, in the trenches. Um, and I just I feel like, you know, it, it actually pushes out over a whole lot of different areas, so it's something that, you know great to sort of touch on later too. Mm, great. Can we, I think we can throw to the audience okay. now. What do you reckon? I reckon it's good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Any questions from the crowd? I was fascinated by the narrative between the two paintings and what appears to be the anonymity of all the figures in it. Would you want to comment on that? Yeah, that, that was quite uh, purposely as far as wiping away. I didn't. I just wanted to have it. Could be any soldier. It, you know, like it could be a brother, it could be an uncle, it could be a grandfather. You know, so it, it wasn't a, a direct person. And it's also the process and the materiality lends itself to not uh, forming things in a tight, tight way. Um, so that that's what this painting sort of does, I guess, in a way. Um, and it, you know, like there's just. These, this painting here specific, specifically is built up of um, books that I've read. So, you know, the stories get told in different ways and I quite like that. And also that then feeds back into the dioramas because was this a real event? This was not a documented event with the football being played, you know, the Christmas truce. So I kind of like that, like the Angel of Mon. Was that a, was that a factual thing or was that just make-believe? Was that a myth? So nothing's, nothing's concrete with that. And quite to keep, keep that elusive. I, I want to kind of almost answer on behalf of one of the artists um, who's in the exhibition, who's in Canada at the moment, and that's the Māori artist Brett Graham. And Brett's work is all about the idea that the Anzac myth didn't actually begin in World War I in Gallipoli. It actually began through colonisation. And the, the, the trauma that we share is actually through colonisation. And that body of work out there, which are those fantastic shields that you encounter as you step down into the exhibition, it kind of testifies to that. There is no shield tradition in Māori culture. They didn't need shields, those warriers. Uh, they just smiled <laughs> and used clubs. 
but he's used the shield because it's a tribute to Aboriginal culture and the patterning uh, actually relates directly to the zigzag patterning that you found in, you find in um, southeastern Aboriginal shields. Uh, so I, that's one thing I'd kind of, I don't know if it kind of answers a question, but it does at least put a spin on this idea of the Anzac story and one that I found through, through Brett's work really illuminating. The other thing within New Zealand with the Anzac days is it's always highly, um, it's quite political as far as what goes on there, there's always protests, um, and you don't get that here as much, and I guess, I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like Lisa said, it's fraught with that colonisation, and also, um, yeah, there's, there's more tension that goes on during that time in New Zealand. It's interesting. Thank you. Now, I think that draws us to the end of Richard's talk. Can you join me in thanking and congratulating Richard Lua? <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you.